This is Catalog and Cocktails. Presented by Data.World. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Catalog and Cocktails, presented by Data.World. It's your honest, no BS, non-salesy conversation about enterprise data management with tasty beverage in hand. My name is Tim Gasper, longtime data nerd, product guy, customer guy, joined by Juan. Hey, everybody. I'm Juan Cicada, the principal scientist at Data.World. And as always, it's Wednesday. It is middle of the week, uh, end of the day, and time to just have a drink and relax. And let's chat about data, have the honest, no BS conversation about data. And today, our guest is Malcolm Hawker, who is a head of data strategy at Prophecy. The really cool thing about Malcolm is that he's seen it from so many different angles. He's a former Gartner analyst. He's been on the buyer and user side. He's now on the vendor side. So he has all these different perspectives. And he also has a podcast called CDO Matters. Uh, Malcolm, how are you doing? I am doing well. Aloha. Like I should say hola since you're in Mexico. And, wow. and hey, Tim, from frozen Austin. And, and <laughs> you are right now in sunny... I'm on the- I'm on the east coast of Florida. They, they call it here the, the Space Coast. So I get uh, to watch Elon launching his uh, missiles into the sky uh, regularly. Nice. All right. Well, at least we're all have, I mean, we're all here. Great. And Tim, you have power. Hopefully it stays I, like I that. I have power for now. for now. Yeah, we got frozen rain for the last 36 hours happening in Austin, Texas. So fingers crossed. We're good to go. This is a live show, everyone. So we roll with the punches. Um, and uh, yeah, Malcolm, good to, good to have you on the show. This is great. And uh, CDO Matters is great as well. So we're excited to do uh, a Much little bit of collaborating here. Much appreciated. Yeah, I, I did the promo and you really can't escape it, even though the, that's, that's a fake background. I was, I was telling the story that I do actually own that sign. We paid a lot of money for like a, a neon sign thinking I'd be the next Joe Rogan. As it turns out, LED lights don't flicker. They, they, don't, they don't emit light consistently. They, they actually flicker just like an animation. And they, they literally have a frame rate and digital cameras have a frame rate. And if they're different, and they're out of sync. It just creates this horrible frog. It just messes with all the pictures. So I, this is the best I could do. I had to take a photo of my, of my awesome light and, and, and Photoshop it into a fake background. So the story. <laughs> but it is real. It exists. It's it is real. Yes, I have you. it on the floor down here right behind me. But yeah. All right. Well, let's uh, kick it off with our tell and toast. So what, what are we drinking and what are we toasting for today? Malcolm, kick us off. Uh, so so uh, I'm not being very exotic. I, I have a Lacroix, uh, Lacroix uh, of water. I was telling one, I am uh, the president of my local homeowners association, and I have to be on the straight, straight and narrow for a meeting later tonight. So I am a, if, if, I, if I wasn't uh, having to do a HOA meeting later tonight, I would probably be having a lovely Belgian ale. I love Belgian beer. Uh, like the, the heavier, stronger, the better. I'm Canadian. And there's just something in me that is like calls me to this the big beefy like the triples and the quads. I love that. Nice. Oh. What, what what's your favorite Belgian? Oh, the, oh my gosh, the the list is really long. Um, I mean, I, I, old standby. I mean, I really like Chimay. It, it, mm. you, you 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 just you can't go wrong um, with Chimay. Um, I mean, just Clear, where you can leave your tremens is mine. I think that's just the best. Oh, tremens is good. Yeah. Yeah. And there's a few different varieties of tremens. I, I, I like it. Um, there's, there's, there, there's a lot. They're really, really hard to find, particularly here in my little beach town, but even like a Duvel. I mean, I even like a Duvel. Um, mm-hmm. but yeah, the, the list is long. My okay. favorite is probably actually not Belgian. It's Canadian. It's called La Fin du Monde. Yes. That is phenomenal. I've had um, that. That's, that's a great beer. W- warning. 
right? Like af after two of those, you should be seriously reconsidering your option for a third. Cause if you do that, you're on, you're on a one-way path. That's it. Like you're, the Bombay doors are open. Target is locked and acquired. You are, you are going to woozy town. It will the, be the one that I want for you. <laughs> the other one I wanted was a, a golden drunk. That was that's oh, that's a good one too. Yeah, yeah, yeah that's like a good it. one. Looks like, looks like we can talk a lot about Belgian beers here right now, but I don't. know. I'm just having a nice <laughs> class of Modelo. I am right now in my other place in Playa del Carmen. Um, so it's just keeping it simple and classic. That's appropriate. Here. Yeah. How about you, Tim? Uh, I'm drinking a uh, Antica Vermouth with Campari on ice. It's so sort of like a Manhattan without the whiskey. So a little bit bitter and uh, a little lighter. Okay. And what are we to what are we toasting for? I'm I'm toasting that it's 80 degrees and sunny outside. So, and I lived in Austin for 20 years, and I know what it's like when 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 there's ice. So, um, I'm I'm toasting that uh, that it's it's sunny on the beach. Uh, I'll cheers to that, and wishing that it was 80 here and sunny as well. <laughs> cheers to that. Cheers to that. I have 85 here. It's a little bit humid, but nice and sunny. So, cheers. <laughs> the sacrifices we make. Wow. <laughs> I was in New York this morning, so I'm not here yet. So, oh wow. <laughs> Anyways, let's, uh, we can talk about that later. But all right, warm up question: uh, What's something in the world that is popular or trending that really needs to fade away and rest in peace, or die? Uh, well, <laughs> die is a strong word. Um, it's so final. Um, but in the, I can even fine tune it. I would say in the in the data world, and in much deference to some really really smart people who focus on these things, and as important as I believe user enablement and user training is, I really think that kind of as a as a concept, maybe as a phrase, as a phrase, I'll be, I will say this: as a phrase, data literacy really needs to go away. Um, and not because I'm opposed to having people who know how to use data and, and, and not because I'm opposed to, to training and data as a tool and what tool and what circumstances, those things are important and they need to be trained. But I have some problems with, with data literacy as it really kind of as a concept and as a phrase. The underlying premise of data literacy is that the thing, not all things, but the thing that, are hold, that is holding organizations back from getting value from, from data is, is inherently what's a skills gap, right? There, there's a gap in the skills of your users of the data and you need to close the skills gap. That may be true, but if you assume that always, you're overlooking a few key things. The most important one being the fact that your product may be faulty, right? Your data quality may be low. There may be lots of other things that, are, that you are putting into your product that are holding the organization back from realizing benefit of that product. But if you just assume, well, it's a skills gap, well, they just don't get it. You can lead a horse to water. I've heard all these things as a gardener analyst, by the way. I've heard, well, you can lead a horse to water. You can make the world's greatest dashboards. I can't force them to use it. it. Must be a data literacy problem. And let's embark on an expensive data literacy program. So yes, training is important. Enablement is important. Go to market, I would argue, if you want to take it from a product management perspective, incredibly important. But just always assuming that the, the, the underlying cause is a skills gap, I think, can create divisions between product creators and product consumers that is really kind of toxic. So I love how this was supposed to be a funny question and you just dove in straight. That's what I do. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm with you. The data literacy. I'm going to go out a funny little thing to this. It's like for me, uh, my answer to this question is a different topic. But I get okay. Reggaeton. I just reggaeton music just needs to fade away. I'm tired of it. 
But all right, no, no, but sorry. I don't know, Tim, do you got a funny answer right now? Or oh, I, I went too deep. It's supposed to be funny and light. I, mean, I killed the mood, man. I'm sorry. Oh, no, it's all good. <laughs> well, I mean, the mood is already dark and rest in peace, right? Well, yeah, it's supposed oh, to be. Okay, um, I'll, I'll give a quick funny one. I, this obsession with Taylor Swift. That needs to go away. Everybody chill out. <laughs> just Taylor Swift. It's no big deal. Okay. All right, now let's get let's get in. Honest, no BS. All right. away and is MDM dead or should it absolutely be dead? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. Um, I I think we waste a lot of time thinking about this and asking this question because because I think it's a natural response to one thing that may be dead, which is the idea of a single version of the truth. Right. I just recorded a podcast with a super, super smart guy named um, Jeff Jonas, who's the CEO of a company called Sensing. They do the entity res. He's our guest next week. No, yeah. really? Oh, <laughs> yes. good promo. Okay. Yeah. Anyway. <laughs> Any, anyway, what we're talking about the death of a single version of the truth, right? And the idea of a kind of top down, centralized, thou shalt approach to your customer master, your product master, your location master, employee master. <clears throat> those models don't work anymore. And, and, the, and, the, and they create an animosity, again, between the producers and consumers of data. When you say things like, well, this is the version of customer that you have to use, whether or not it meets your business needs is irrelevant. Here's what you have to use. And, 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 or, and stakeholders rebel against that stuff. It results in things like the data mesh. It results in a whole bunch of other things where stakeholders are saying, no, the, uh, my, my context, my, my use case requires this version of the truth. And it's, and it's generally accurate because it's going to fit the need. It's going to help you meet the needs of, of your end consumers. So there are multiple versions of the truth. We can absolutely positively recognize this. We see this every day. It's how companies operate. The way finance looks at the world is different than the world market, different than the way that marketing looks at the world. And they're both correct. But getting back to, you know, Juan, we'll talk about the history of MDM. People kind of conflate these things, right? They say, oh, MDM, that's about single version of the truth. And that really doesn't fit business needs anymore. So MDM must be dead. It's most right. certainly not dead. Let, let, let's dive into this. So I, I, I single version of the truth. I 100% agree with that. And actually, I would love to go talk to somebody right now who would say, who disagree with this. And it's something we should probably dig into. Like, why would you want to disagree? Uh, so that's one thing. But before we dive into more things, how do we define MDM today? Like, what is the definition of MDM? Because if it's not single version of the truth, so yeah. what is MDM? What's your definition? Yeah. Yeah, at, at a high level, I actually made a post on LinkedIn about this yesterday that kind of speaks to this at, at, a, at a very, very high level. MDM is about the people, processes, and technologies that allow organizations to maximize the value from their shared data assets. That last phrase, shared data assets, is absolutely positively critical. If you have data that is being widely shared cross-functionally, right, a data, data between sales and finance between logistics or supply chain and product marketing, if data is being shared across those organizations, you need to have consistent governance and consistent management and consistent care and feeding of that data. Otherwise, how do you operate, right? How, how would you ever take a contract out of sales and, and have that contract be easily, seamlessly, deeply integrated into finance for RevRack, right? Data naturally moves across the organization between functional silos. MDM is the grease that allows the data to move seamlessly across those functions and allows it to have consistent meaning, consistent quality, consistent definition, consistent management. That's MDM. That, you that kind of feels everything. 
and it feels broad. It feels like good data management. So is that, uh, is that well, kind of what good master data management kind of is? Is it's like good data management? The, the first time I ever met Juan uh, in, in person, we, we were in Boston at the CDOIQ conference last year. And, and, and I said, you know, basically I was waving my MBM flag, right? I'm an MBM guy. And, and, and Juan is like, oh, I kind of said, well, it seems kind of outdated. It seems kind of like your father's Buick. I've, I've always ever looked at MBM as like, you know, in a data integration on steroids. I think, that, is that the phrase you just wanted? You didn't say that. Oh, like this, that. The phrase I use, which is what Tim said before, it's MDM, fancy data integration. Fancy, fancy data integration. Fancy, da fancy data integration. Well, uh, yeah, if, if you looked simply at MDM as a physical act of plumbing, sure. The, the fancy, <laughs> I guess the fancy comes into things like consistent governance and and consistent structure and consistent quality definitions, it, basically consistent governance. I guess that could be the fancy part. Yeah, I, I, I mean, I guess so. Sure, but you know, having consistent rules of the road is going is 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 absolutely business critical. And having consistent rules of the road at multiple levels is critical, right? So you're operating cross-functionally in, in the ways that I was talking about. But when you move up an organization, when you kind of move up the value chain to the top of the organization, and you're talking to a CEO. And your CEO asks, how many customers do we have? There's only one answer, right? So yes, context matters. And that context can vary at a functional level. And it can even vary within the organization through the organizational hierarchy. So the, instead of saying a single version of the truth, I, I would say instead that every context will have a single version of the truth. And you can have multiple contexts. So a clear yes. truth context. For context, yeah, I and mean, context is necessary. This, this is this is why we see more graph playing a bigger role in MDM and helping inform MDM decisions, helping inform MDM you know, data models and the like. But it is ultimately all about context because that that's how businesses run, right? They're they're functionally aligned, and the functions are roughly aligned to context. This is an important here. Like every context should have a single version of the truth for its con in that context. Yeah. Right? Yes. This is a good, yeah, and if you don't, I mean, I mean, that's kind you of have chaos. Context. Then you have multiple contexts, and probably. Well, 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 right. the The real challenge here for organizations is is that you can you can kind of acknowledge conceptually, theoretically, okay, yeah, and you could be listening to this right now, and you could say, yeah, that makes total sense. Got it. Check. Every context will have its own version of the truth. Let's go do it. I think this is what people are doing with the data mesh. Let's go do it. That sounds great. Domain centricity. That's that sounds fantastic. The, the challenge here for a lot of organizations, and this again kind of comes back to negative press <laughs> for MDM writ large. The challenge here is, is that when you go from one version of the truth, one record to rule them all, old school, old school MDM, that's one set of business rules that you have to manage, right? One set of quality standards, one, one, one master data model, one, one thing to get right from a governance perspective. When you say, now we're gonna have con context centricity, then you go to N different sets of rules. And that jump for a lot of organizations from one set of rules that we have to agree on to multiple sets of rules that we all have to agree on and manage, by the way, with even including things like data stewards, with technology, with business process, business process management, all of these things, to go from one to N is a huge jump for a lot of companies that where generally what we see across the board is that companies consistently, consistently lack sufficient focus on data governance. So they make the jump to a data mesh and say, hey, let's go to data mesh, complete domain centricity. 
without the underlying kind of framework and foundation of data governance, you're going to have a hard time, right? Because the, the answers are going to be different depending on the reports that you're looking at by domain. And maybe that's okay, but if you want to resolve those differences at higher levels of the organization, you better have the governance maturity in order to do it. And a lot of companies don't. Then they go back and say, oh, well, MDM failed. So it must be MDM's problem that we don't have sufficient investment in governance, that we don't have sufficient focus on policies and procedures related to how we actually maintain and manage the data. So you said something really key here, which is about if you're, you're starting kind of, you have your old school way mentality culture of that single yeah. version of the truth and moving towards a multiple version of the truth in different contexts. Like that's hard, just uh, like from a cultural perspective. Let's, we, we were chatting before kind of about the history of this. How did we get here? Like, how, how did MDM start? Well, because yeah. I, we need to understand our history to know where we come from, to know where we should be going. To a certain degree, yeah. I mean, I, I think, get, go, go way back. Let's let's go into the, our Siebel time machine, right? And I'm, and I'm old enough to remember Siebel software and these kind of these single monolithic kind of ERP stacks that did everything 20, 25 years ago, right? where there was a single table for vendor, there was a single table for customer, there was a single table for product, for, for you name it, right? There, was, there were single tables with these monolithic ERP suites that kind of created the mindset of a single version of the truth because when you have end-to-end -end one set of software, you, you, you don't have to join across multiple customer tables, multiple product tables, you just got one, it kind of created a lot of mindset for older folks like me that this is kind of how things work. Right. So you, you started out with like, here's this one application, the ERP, and yep. all the customer data is there. So whatever is in that system, that's the right data period because there's yep. no customer data yep. outside of it. Yep. And, and it created these misguided notions of ownership too, right? Like, like data ownership. What does that even mean? Right? Like separate topic we can, we can talk about, right? Like, I guess if I had my, my DM Bach, right? My, my data management book of knowledge and I, and I opened the beloved DM Bach and an angel sang and it would say, here's what data ownership means in, 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 in theory, it, but in practice, like, okay, data ownership, really, particularly for master data, particularly for that data that runs cross-functionally, you're, you're going to say one person owns that? Good luck with that. Uh, separate issue, but going back to the history. So we started with these monolithic giant ERP stacks and then along comes Salesforce and along comes Oracle and a few others that, 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 that enabled the democratization of IT. So all of a sudden these applications start springing up all over the place. But the classic example is again, Salesforce, where you had ERP data and you had CRM data and you needed to find, try to find a way to reconcile the two different views of customer which created a lot of like weirdness and conflicts and organizations says, well, finance owns the customer. Well, marketing owns the customer. Who owns the customer? And when, when both do, they both do. Um, but that really was where kind of MDM, the need for MDM was born, at least as a kind of unique software competency. One could argue that MDM has always existed as a discipline, as a way of managing data, managing those governance policies and managing workflow and managing stewardship and, managing access rights and all those other things. You could, you could argue it's MDM as a discipline has always been there, but MDM as a technology really kind of was, was born out of the democratization of IT where all of a sudden you had these different versions. Fast forward a little bit, the you know explosion of data warehouses and the explosion of BI and analytics layers where even there you could start to see some of these problems manifest about it, you know, lack of a single different, you know, single version of the truth as it were. Um, so that's some of the history and, and, and why we have some of these like kind of this baggage of like misguided notions of who owns, right? And, and, and misguided notions of single version of the truth and, and misguided notions that all centralization is bad because it's not, 
right? It's certainly not. There are there are architectural reasons for having some things centralized. Um, yeah, I could I, I could go on, but that's some of the the, the quick history there. Now, I, I, I appreciate going down to this history because it really helps us understand kind of how we got here around this. And and I think the you, you I always say when it comes to centralization, decentralization, we need to go find a balance with this stuff. And I think yeah. we, we the, the, the government, we, we talk about data mesh too. Like I think the aspect that we don't talk that much about, people are just figuring out is the governance side around it. So um, gov governance in this, in this decentralized world how how should we start? What what are you? You start centralized. You then you go decentralized. You what are the different patterns that you're seeing? That either I mean, yeah. this is this is where I'm fascinated about all the different perspectives that you have, right? Yeah. From an analyst, from a vendor, from a buyer, right? User. Yeah. What are the different options, trends that you're seeing and approaches when it comes to figuring out how to decentralize? Yep. Well. It it's a it's a really good question. If somebody asked me, I'm putting on my Gartner analyst hat. <laughs> you can't see it. Um, but I used to get this question all the time when I was a Gartner analyst, right? Uh, data governance, where do I start? Right? This this seems scary. This seems big. I've downloaded a few different data governance frameworks, including the demo data governance framework, and there seems like an awful lot of work here. What do I do? Right? I've just been handed the data governance baton. Where do I, what do I do? The correct answer to that question is to take as much of an outcome-driven MVP approach that you can, right? The, 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 the days of going and hiring Deloitte to figure it all out, you can still try to do that if you want, by the way. I've, I've hired them all. I love Deloitte. I love Accenture. I love McKinsey. I love Tata Infosys. You name it. They're fantastic. If you want to go hire them to try to figure out governance, well, you better have some pretty deep pockets and you, you better be pretty patient. Right, because what they will do is take this bottoms-up approach to governance. They'll take a framework-driven approach to governance that you can't argue with. By the way, this is a governance framework, and these are all the things that you need to do. But they will take that bottoms-up approach, and you will be looking at months and months and months and months and months of requirements gathering, a policy definition of all these other things needed to put together an enterprise-wide governance framework. That's my my hand signal for enterprise-wide governance framework. What I would say instead, taking a kind of pragmatic, I've been there, I've had my knees skinned up pretty bad by falling and failing at governance. What I would do instead is be incredibly outcome driven. Go find one or two or three stakeholders in your organization that have acute pains that are caused by a lack of governance. Maybe you don't have a single consistent view of a customer within your marketing organization, the proverbial 360, right? What would a good outcome be from a better 360? Maybe not even a 360, maybe a 280. Well, you go talk to your chief revenue officer, maybe she would tell you, uh, well, then we would have better cross sales and upsells. Or we would know if we were selling product A to customer A and product B to customer B, we'd know if there was a cross sell opportunity there just by having some visibility across those different selling lanes. Hey, that sounds pretty good. What's the governance needed to enable that? What is the governance needed to enable more cross-selling or more upselling or, or some form of a single version of the truth? So instead of trying to solve for all aspects of a governance framework, just solve for the aspects needed to deliver on that outcome. And when you do that, people are going to be excited. People are going to be thrilled. They're like, oh my God, we had no idea that these opportunities existed across our lines of business to be cross-selling of products. Can I get more? Can I get some more of that? Yeah, we can do that, but we're going to need a little more funding and we're going to need a little more investment in stewardship. And maybe we do need to engage some, some, some consultants, but outcome-driven, outcome-driven, outcome-driven. If you are engaging consultants, there's nothing wrong with that. Put them in a box. 
put them in a box, meaning have an outcome. Say, I, I want to drive an outcome of 20% increased cross sales through better governance of data. Deloitte, Accenture, McKinsey, whoever, can you help me with that? Yeah. Yes, we can. But instead, don't, don't do the bottoms up, let them go run rampant, figure it all out because you'll be there for years. So don't just start with, hey, come in here and solve the, don't, boil, don't ask them to boil the ocean for you. Point them yep. at a specific outcome. I, I love that. I think that's very good advice. Um, yeah, I, I think that uh, something that's interesting about this is we've talked about how to go about it, some of the history here, and then just this whole idea that MDM is dead, right? Um, I, I think that the phrase master data management or MDM is, is fallen out of vogue. It's fallen out of the vocabulary, a lot of, of, of data professionals. And, and, and I think they, you know, folks will say things like, Oh, I really need to get a better view of my customers or, Oh man, I really wish that we could reconcile this product data and things like that. But they never say it like, Oh, master data management. I need no. that or something like that. Right. Like why, why is that? Do you think it's because <laughs> like these tools are, you know, because I think people have started to associate, I know I'll fall into this trap too. associate MDM more with like an MDM tool, like yep. the thing that Informatica sells that does MDM, you know, like that kind of thing. Right. Is, is that part of the reason? And, and well, that was just like, I have always associated MDM for me. This is the problem I, for me too. Is like MDM is that tool, which that tool actually is like just entity resolution, basically. It's like, yeah. oh, it's, it's rules that you go do. So for me, MT, MDM is like, here's the records of customers that we have created these rules and done. Uh, that's a fancy integration, go do that. But then it's much more than that tool, right? And it's, yeah. and it's not just about linking these two different uh, records together. Well, not two, like many other records. Yeah, I mean, from a critical capabilities perspective, again, with the Gartner hat, MDM is, is, is beyond just entity resolution, although that, that, is a, that is a key thing. But Tim, to, to your question of, you know, is MDM kind of out of vogue? I, I, yes, to a certain degree it is. I've been in so many presentations recently where what I hear are presentations related to challenges around MDM and people don't say it. Like I'll be the guy on, on, the, on the virtual conference and I'm literally screaming into mic, say it, say it, say it. Because they keep talking about him. They keep saying, well, we lack a you know, trusted, consistent you know, uh, place to get our customer data. And we, we lack you know, consistent governance and quality standards when it comes to you know, key data that we share widely across the organization. And they're not saying MDL. Right? Yeah. I, I, I I've, see this. <laughs> I've seen like right now, Rom if, has a comment right there. If you can show it, we can pull it up there. Right with with a single version of the truth and for each context, how do we preserve the data integrity across independent or interconnected functions? Like your point is, like that's MDM right there. Is the people in the process aspect to make sure that you have that integrity? Yes. So, so, so Ram, to, to answer your questions from a policy perspective, there would be consistent policies related to that shared data, right? So policies about who can create it, who can update it. That would be enforced in some sort of kind of data management hub like an MDM. Or yes, we could have conversations about a data fabric or a highly virtualized world, but there's still some going to be some sort of business rules there that need to be consistent, consistently applied as a backstop. I would say that kind of as a backstop, but the rules are also applied within applications. So this is something a lot of people I think don't get about MDM is that they assume that MDM lives in this, the, just in the data management world. And it is, it's beyond an outside transactional data and is beyond outside applications that are managing transactional data. Far from the truth. MDM will live and breathe 
in inside applications, meaning you're in a CRM and you're creating a new record for, you know, Acme Incorporated or Joe Smith. Um, and there's a real time call out to some MDM hub that is doing, uh, you know, some some sort of, you know, uh, search before create to see does this thing already exist or not? Right. That is doing real time entity resolution against Joe Smith or G Smith at gmail.com and on and on to see, is this a valid record? Should we be creating this? Is it the person that is trying to create this have the rights to do that? So, Ram, to answer your question, that's that's how you do it is 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 that you try to to stop the flow of garbage in uh, at the time of create, wherever that create is happening, whether it's in an application or whether it's in a data management system. But if you don't, there's also a backstop there, right, where you can run processes against data in real time, daily, batch, whatever, it doesn't matter, to find the anomalies that are naturally kind of creep into the system as it were. But yeah, Tim, like out of, out of vogue, yeah, I think it's kind of out of vogue. I mean, I've, I've heard multiple situations where people just don't say it. And I think I think it's a result of a lot of people having, you know, maybe a little bit of uh, scar tissue, mm -hmm. as it were, with trying MDM and failing. Right. The stories here, there's a lot of stories of failed MDM, right? Almost always comes down to lack of executive support and lack of a focus on data governance. It's never about a lack of technology. The technology, arguably, knock, knock, uh, is, is the easy part here. The hard part of business processes and the rules, particularly governance policies that go into managing master data. So, yeah, it, it's kind of fallen out of vogue because there are a lot of vendors out of there that see this and they realize it. And then they start selling shiny objects that basically, you know, tried to do MDM like things mm -hmm. like a, a single version of the truth or a customer 360. So you'll have like CRM vendors out there saying, oh, we can do that. Yeah, we can do that. And you've got you know, like data warehouse vendors out there saying, well, we can enable data sharing. No problem. Right. right. And, if, and if you view data sharing as simply a mechanical exercise to provide access and permissions to data, if that's what data sharing is, well, great. But if you don't know how it was created, you don't know the quality rules that went into it. You don't know its lineage. You don't know. You don't know. You know anything about that data and how it came to be. Well, you're going to have a hard time getting the value out of it. Yeah, I mean, there's such a proliferation of of, of tools and techniques and technologies yeah. now that it's pretty easy to 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 make it seem like you can uh, you can do these types of things. Um, yep. But it's hard to actually see. It's it's hard to actually articulate it. You know, and and, and especially think about like. Um, you know, like data lake, or, you know, data lake house type architectures that have uh -huh. become quite popular now. And uh, there's a part of me that wonders if people haven't quite figured out how these valuable things, like just last week, we were talking about data modeling, right? How yep. things like data modeling and master data management and data governance, how those things apply to these new paradigms where, you know, we've got all these cool cap capabilities like data sharing, and we've got cool tool sets like DBT, but then how do these things fit into you know, MDM and data governance and things like that. Yeah, I mean, go look at Databricks, Snowflake, go look at their websites. They, they, they will make you think, well, well, the MDM, you don't need that. <laughs> you don't need that. We can do that. We enable single version of the truth. Hmm. And if you think that all you need to do to do that is to dump data into one bucket and to apply some consistent permissions to it, if you think that's what MDM is and that's all that MDM is, well, I guess so, but that's certainly not it. Right. Because I, I like this. This is just like Groundhog Day all, all over again. Right. And I'm having Hadoop flashbacks. Right. Which is, oh, well, just drop it all into an HDFS cluster and your, your problems will be solved. Right. Like, no worries. The data scientists will figure it all out and your poor data quality um, will just magically disappear. 
right? The fact that you've got five different versions of Jeff Smith in your database, ah, well, no, no problem. Uh, those will all just somehow automatically go away when we throw it into, you know, Hadoop or when we throw it into Databricks and, and apply some consistent permissions to it. Well, that's kind of laughable, right? Like, no, it goes well, well, well beyond that. And, and, and at its core, what's needed is consistent governance and management of that data, not just ex post facto when you load it into some sort of hub like an MDM or a Databricks or a Snowflake or a CRM, but at the time of create as well. Right. And, and that's what those systems don't do. But it's kind of it's it's kind of alluring to data people. Right. Because you can say, oh, yeah, well, I enabled a single version of the truth because I stood up Snowflake and my job is done. Mission accomplished. Woohoo. But they'll go run a report against that data and you'll you'll find five Jeff Smiths. Right. And, and sorry if your name is Jeff Smith. I'm, I mean, you can get my <laughs> point. Right? <laughs> maybe I just just go with Malcolm Hawker. Uh, you get five. Well, there's only three of me on the planet. So maybe a bad example. But but you get my point. <laughs> Yeah. yeah. No, so I, I mean, getting ahead of ourselves here on the takeaways, but I'm, right now I'm seeing two things. One is that we continue to talk about MDM in this conversation right now, and I'm realizing it is just best practices of managing data. Like that, that, that's what I mean. And I think MDM has, because it's existed for so long, and I would argue that it has it's not the bad reference. It's just kind of the old thing that you associate with these old tools. I mean, that's it. MDM, you associate with tools, but yep. in reality, MDM is more about this discipline. Oh, yeah. That word MDM, it's not, you don't think about the disciplines when you, when you think about MDM. And, I, and part of me is like, okay, this is, if it's a marketing thing, let's go rebrand this. I know you were mentioned this in your, in one of your LinkedIn posts, like, should it be called MDM anymore? Should it be called uh, what, sharing yeah. data? Shared, uh, shared data. Well, that, that, that yeah. So, so but hold on. I think yeah. that that's one aspect here is that th here, this conversation has really evolved into not look, not it's not just MDM. It's really just best practices of managing data. And I think that's what like the, how you're defining what MDM is. That's one shared thing. data. Yeah, second, not all data. But the second thing here is the technology that as technologists, we end up with focusing on technology and the MDM definition of discipl discipline of people, process, technology. We don't want to go do the people, the process stuff. We, we, we want to just jump into the, dump things into this thing, into Databricks easy and button. that, and we'll go figure that out. So that that's the easy way out. Of, and no. And then we want some magic wand automatically come up with ways so we can automatically say if these things not only are, are mean the same thing, but I actually can't have access to this and stuff. I'm like, why? Why are we so lazy? I mean, we, I get, I understand we want to automate as much as we can, but there's just some stuff. I truly believe that there's just some stuff that we just need to put the effort into it. And if we don't, we'll just keep doing the same shit over and over again, over and over again, just Groundhog Day. And, and, and then we're going to have the same freaking discussion five years, 10 years, and so forth. I tried the approach of, hey, man, I just do the pipes. I don't do the water. I tried that many times. It doesn't work. And if you're a CDO making a decent chunk of money, good luck if you try that approach as well. It's not going to work, right? So, so to your point one, you got to go do the work. You got to go build the relationships. You got to go show the value. You have to earn the right to request fields be required. You have to go earn the right to request the business to act in a certain way. You have to earn the right to ask the business to do things a slightly different way. Just because you've been given a mandate by your CEO to go fix the data doesn't mean that anybody has to listen to you. And typically they don't. 
when they will listen to you is you go solve a problem. Getting back to that customer 360 what I was just talking about, right? Like you can do that. You, you can drop a reasonably competent MDM, maybe even a CDP, may, maybe maybe even some entity resolution software, maybe even like unbelievable. Well, I won't go any farther than that. But you can go and solve that or, or a decent chunk of it. Maybe not 100%. You're not going to get to a 360. Maybe you only get to a 180. But maybe that's enough of a solution to drive some value for, for, for your sales organization. When you do that, you earn the right to go back to them and say, hey, listen, here's what's possible. Can you see what's possible? I helped you drive a million dollars of incremental revenue by uncovering some white space in our sales organization or cross-sell or upsell opportunities. I'd like to work with you some more and maybe buttoning down some of these processes here that are that are, are, are holding you back from doing even more great stuff. Are you interested? Yes, anybody would be. But what I see over and over and over, and I saw this as a Gartner analyst, was honestly a, a lot of self-aggrandizement that we've been given the mandate to go fix these things. We've been given the mandate to become more data-driven. And lo and behold, I run the data organization. And those things are great. Don't get me wrong. But but that doesn't earn you the right to, to, to charge into people's offices and to say, you need to do things differently. You need to change how you operate. You need to do all of these things to make our data better because chances are pretty good. They're already hitting their numbers. They're hitting their SLAs. They're wowing their customers. They're doing things well enough that your company's moving forward and growing. Right. So take a different approach, be humble, go in, find a way to drive value quickly, keep things small, then have conversations about changing the way that we manage data or the changing the way that we onboard customers or making fields required that weren't required in the past and on and on and on. That's that's how we, we, we drive change. I, I, when you started off this conversation right now, this last part, you say you have to earn the right. And I'm like, uh, yes, but part of me is like, well, I mean, sometimes you just got to tell people what you got to go do, right? Because it's like, that's why we have stop signs. That's why you got, you got rules around these things, right? But, then, but, but, I, but, 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 but I did not interrupt. I'm glad I didn't interrupt you because you went off and you wrapped it up saying, but we got to be humble. You don't want to go barge into the office tell me what to go do, especially when they're actually – Hitting their goals, like because you're gonna, you're gonna. This is an excellent point. Like, what do you mean I'm doing things wrong? Look at my numbers. I'm doing great. And it, and then at at that point, it's like, well, like maybe in your world you're doing things great, but maybe in another, it's affecting somebody else. Maybe that could be the case, or maybe you think it's great, but it could, but uh, great as the enemy of even be, even better, right? Because we can do things better. So that that's a very interesting point. And I think just again, be humble, be mm -hmm. empathetic. Yeah, I, I, yeah, uh, I, I actually, the, one of the greatest things about attending the CDOIQ conference last summer um, wasn't just the fact that you were there, but I'm bummed, was that that was actually kind of a common theme in a lot of the presentations that I saw among CDOs, which is, hey, listen, I go, be humble here. Um, yes, you've been given a mandate. Yes, data is the new oil. Yes, data is critically important. Yes, it can transform your organization. But, but again, we, we need to be humble and we, we, we need to defer to our stakeholders in how to run the business the best way because that's their mandate. Your mandate is to how to manage the data the best way. So, I, yeah, I, I, I couldn't agree more. I guess, I mean, I'm, I'm agreeing with, with myself, but, but yeah. Okay. Well, <laughs> So let, let's continue. Let's take a little bit of a side note here. Um, something that you brought up. I'm here looking at our notes. There's a side note. Where was the side note we had? 
I missed it. Tim, remind me. Uh, side oh, note. The data ownership. Data ownership, oh, yes. Data ownership meme. This is, this is an interesting. Yeah. Yeah. So, so well, when I was a Gartner analyst, I really, I really focused on data ownership being a function of two things. Um, policy de governance policy definition, the rules of the road, getting back to your stop sign metaphor, right? Like the, the rules of the road, who can create a record, who can update a record, how, how long is the record, what, what are our rules for data quality, when is it accurate, incorrect, blah, blah, blah. Policies related to data, incredibly important, right? Who owns that, right? And then who owns the execution and implementation of those policies, right? So. If you want to create a, a government example here, well, there are, you know, elected officials that pass the laws and then there are police that enforce the laws, right? In, in the data world, we have the exact same thing. When it comes to some data sets, particularly widely shared data like MDM, and I didn't get into the MDM name change thing. We should talk about that, side note. Uh, <laughs> um, when, when you're talking about data that are widely shared, product, asset, location, material, you name it, the list is long. When you look across both of those, those axes, those lenses, right? Policy definition, policy enforcement. Well, who defines policies? It's gonna be multiple people by definition, has to be, right? Because everybody has a stake in customer, everybody has a stake in product, right? And they're all going to have their two cents to offer in the rules for managing that data. So inherently a collaborative exercise. If you are talking maybe from more through the lens of a data mesh, yes, I just said it, and maybe you have complete domain centricity where, where you have aligned as an organization to say, okay, these sets of rules are going to be defined within this domain and I'm not going to go to even talk to anybody else. Perhaps, but I would argue even at a cross-functional level, you still need to define those rules. And, and, and that process is not, to me, adequately defined in federated computational governance, separate issue. Um, but defining the rules is generally going to be a collaborative exercise. And if you have to manage your data and do anything cross-functionally, it will be a collaborative exercise. There's more than one people involved in setting those rules. Enforcement of rules, same thing. You can have data quality rules enforced within an application, within a CRM tool, within an ERP, within, within an ETL process. There, there are rules that are being, you are applying a data governance rule. You are, you are enforcing one the minute you model data, right? The minute you, you create a join, I would argue that's a rule. How are these things related? What are the, what, how, how, you know, what are the underlying rules sitting there? Again, that can be people in IT, that can be people in marketing, it can be people in finance. Lots of people are enforcing those rules. So the idea that there's one owner, 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 owner of any of that data to me is like, what? I mean, I, I get it from kind of a racy perspective and it's convenient. And we like to say, well, you're going to own the data and be accountable for it. But if you can't control what people are doing in sales or marketing or in IT, if you have no control over both of those lenses, both policy definition and policy enforcement, if you cannot control either of those, you're going to have a really hard time as a data owner. Now, the only exception might be where you exist in this very, very insular organization where maybe you've got a monolithic ERP where data only lives in one application and serves one, maybe one or two tables and a limited set of reports where you have a, a small organization where you can maybe have one person be that kind of owner. Well, maybe, but in most large organizations that, that I know, the data ownership is inherently a collaborative exercise and to think otherwise is not productive. Just to double click on that real quick before we kind of go to our, our lightning round here. Um, what do you like better 
to describe folks that are helping to define and collaborate around shared rules, right? Are these data governance people? Yeah. Are they stewards? Are they, you know, um, Laura Madsen talks about data ambassadors. What do you think are, are what is the right way to think about this? They're all of the above. They're, they're, I mean, you could, uh, uh, I guess I can't say interview Laura Madsen next. <laughs> He's already been. <laughs> oh, because oh. Um, I enjoy talking to Laura. Like like any, anybody that says in the first line of their book, I hate data governance when the book is about data governance. That's 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 somebody you, you need to be talking to. It's a sign. It's a good book. <laughs> yeah, it's exactly right. Um, whether you call it a data ambassador, whether you call it a data steward, lead steward, um, it, the, what you're talking about are data governance organizations. Right. And these are these are you can call it a data governance committee. Um, you can have domain experts, you can have process experts, you can have IT experts, but they're all going to be sitting in some form of data governance committee. And I know me even saying the word committee is going to trigger some antibody responses with a lot of people because uh, committees must be bad. Um, but I don't know any other way to do it. Right. When you're when you're talking about, you know, collaborating on, on rules for data that everybody needs in order to run their business, I, I don't know another way to do it. So. Short answer is what you're talking about are data governance committees. Ultimately, ultimately, the right way to do it is to have that committee be owned, chaired, aligned organizationally, those committees aligned on the business side with IT representation, right? With IT, with, with people from IT being there, making sure that, you know, the feasibility studies and, and helping make sure that IT can support what the business wants to do from a rule perspective where you would potentially have some kind of lead steward from an IT perspective who knows systems, who knows integration points, who knows kind of data flows and the architecture. But ultimately, data governance committee should, in a perfect world, live within uh, uh, business units. And the only way you're going to do that, by the way, the only way you're ever going to convince the business to invest in that stuff is to show the value that I was talking about before. It's only going to be the only way. Otherwise, what you see, what I've seen a zillion times is, yeah, you'll, some, some edict will come from above. We need, to do, we need to do data governance. Let's form a committee. And it lasts for about six to eight months. And then the, the director who was appointed to go to those meetings stops going, tells their manager to go on their behalf. And here, herein starts the kind of the data governance death spiral. I wonder how many uh, people listening have gone through that or seen that uh, exact scenario that you oh. described. <laughs> oh. Way too many times, I'm sure, yeah. unfortunately. All right. Well, Malcolm, this has been, we can keep talking. We still have a couple more things to go do, but let's let's go through our lightning round, which is presented by data.world. Uh, I'm going to kick it off. Question number one. Is MDM a part of data governance? Yes. All right. <laughs> it's a lightning round. I assume it's a single, it's single word. Yes, it is. You, 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 can, you can do uh, governance without MDM, but you can't do MDM without governance. All right. Second question. You know, you've mentioned data mesh a couple of times, and I, I got the sense that, it, it, that uh, when you had to say it, it made you flinch a little bit. Um, does data mesh include some concept around MDM and its framework based on what you know, or do you feel like it kind of excludes it? It, it? Based on what I've read, it necessarily has to. Although the word MDM is never used in Zumbach's book. So, so what's described, what I read, and this may be just me being an MDM hammer and assuming everything is, is an MDM nail, 
and I recognize that I have some bias there because MDM pays my mortgage, um, but I assume that it necessarily has to be. And what I've, I, I've, I've asked Zamak in, in a couple of different uh, environments, well, okay, well, how do you solve for cross-functional uses of data, right? How, how, do you, how do you resolve differences in data definitions or quality standards that may exist between report A and report B across two different functions? How do you resolve those? The answer that I hear back is something that sounds an awful lot like MDM. So that, that kind of, that part of the diagram, that's the umbrella on top, the standards right. and the interoperability. It's like, Hey, that's feels a and, lot like MDM. Right. And it's, and it's funny when, when I, when I learned Zamak was going off to do her own, her own thing, what's, what's the name of her new thing? Um, next, next data. Next data. Yeah. When, when I heard that she was going off and doing that and, and I assumed that it was going to be some sort of equivalent of a semantic layer to address some of the kind of the cross-functional limitations that, that, and, and some of the complexities that arise through cross-functional uses of data. That's what I thought that you would be working on. So I'm, I'm excited to see what, what it's actually going to be. All right. Next uh, by question. the way, the answer to the last question applies to the data fabric as well. Hmm. The, the data fabric requires some sort of magic logic layer um, that is this combination of semantics, AI, ML, uh, in, in, auto magic, smart in, data integration, fancy integrations. Uh, MDM data governance that, that, that is just this amorphous blob of hand waves right now. And, and I, by the way, I'm a huge believer in data fabric and I think that there could be something there. I believe that data, we can get to a point where technologies can allow data to inform its own classification and use. That's my definition of the data fabric, right? Where, where, we, where data can inform its own classification and use. I think that we can get there. Uh, but we got a ways to go for sure. And, it, and a lot of it has to do with that layer that is, that is doing integrations, that is, that is, you know, uh, that is investigating active metadata to understand when transactions are correct or when they failed and all these other things that data, that data fabric needs to do. I, I'm a believer, but we got a long way to go before that technology is mature enough. So next question, this is, let's see, will MDM as a tool or technology go away because it gets embedded in some other tools? Yeah. Um, well, let's get back to the, the previous mini rant about, about the data fabric, right? Um, in, in, in a future world, 10 plus years down the road, I, I think that MDM as a software could look very different, but you're still going to need something that manages some form of shared business and governance rules related to that data, right? So... I, the, the short answer here is no, it's not going to go away as long as we recognize that truth is a contextually bound phenomenon, right? If we recognize that, and if we also agree that an enterprise view of anything is its own version of a truth, right? Well, then you need to be able to reconcile the view of the CEO and their view at those functional levels. And, and how you do that requires business logic to be maintained, whether that logic is, is being driven and managed and, and by, by some sort of AI bot, or whether it's being managed by somebody configuring a rule into an MDM platform, that need is never gonna go away. Mm -hmm. I like that. That's an interesting view. I also like your comment that an enterprise view of something is its own truth. I think that is actually yes. um, a profound observation. Um, people think that it's the, the the finding of the truth. It's actually a truth in and of itself. Um, all right, last uh, lightning round question for you. 
you talked about shared data, shared data management, SDM. Is that the replacement for MDM? Thanks for coming the tie back, Tim, and, and for coming back. You know, one of the great things about LinkedIn is, is that you can still have really productive and professional conversations about really hard things. So I had come up in my head, I've been trying to figure out, okay, if it's not master data, what is it? And, and by the way, the reaction here for, for master data is, is, is I don't like changing words, right? I don't like inventing new words for old things, right? I, 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 I will fight about data observability being a new thing because I don't think it is, but we create a new word there because we like to create new words because we like to sell things as vendors. Um, so I'm, I don't want to create new words, but when it comes to MDM, there, there are people who associate the use of the word master with darker times in our history. And it's not for me and people in my definite demographic to say whether that's right or that's wrong. It just is to acknowledge it. And the, the question then becomes, okay, it, is, is, that, is that something that, that needs to facilitate a change to the name? I, I don't know, but I asked the question on LinkedIn. And the answers have been pretty interesting. I came up with the idea that MDM should be replaced by data sh by shared data, data sharing, because mm -hmm. if you look at the definition of MDM, whether it's Gartner's definition, Forrester's definition, anybody's definition, data sharing is, is, is intrinsic to that definition. But what I found in my, my, the responses there has been really, really great and just, just wonderful, educated, thoughtful responses on LinkedIn. And what I, what I figured out was that, you know, all master data is shared data, but all shared data is not master data. And that's a hole in the logic, right? It should be able to go both ways, right? So whatever, whatever we replace it with, if, if there is something to replace it with, it needs to be able to go both ways. Um, so I don't know what the answer is. <laughs> maybe we stay with master data. Maybe it's innocuous enough. Um, I, I, I don't know, but I, I do know that, you know, the room over here to my right is not, is not my master bedroom. It's my primary bedroom. There you go. So, yeah. So well, uh, I think it's, I think it's a great opportunity to think about how the language could change here because I think it is, uh, you know, outdated and outmoded. Right. And I think that, um, yep. I love the idea of shared data. I think that's a great concept. And so hopefully that conversation continues uh, with those who are listening. Um, and also, you know what? Data mesh is so 2022. It's time for what's the, what's the hot phrase of 2023? I love words. Let's get new words. The, what's the hot phrase of 2023? Yeah. Making new words. Oh, gosh. I, I I don't know. This may be my kryptonite. Um, shared data sounds like a good candidate. I love it, that. man. Like or, shared or, data. Or yeah. maybe it's auto magical, amorphous, hand waving blob, as somebody on LinkedIn here <laughs> says. magic. They they, they uh, want to buy that. Yes, hand waving data fabric semantic layer, um, or data mesh semantic layer. I, I, I don't I don't know. I I'm bullish on data sharing. Um, I have been giving presentations recently on how to enable data sharing through blockchain. Um, and blockchain has kind of come out of favor in the last couple of years. And I, I think you can blame Sam Bankman-Fried and, and other forces partially for that, but I don't think it's going away. Um, I think that blockchain will come roaring back at the end of this year as we approach another halving cycle in, in, in Bitcoin. And if people are crypto people, they'll know exactly what I just said, but most probably won't. <laughs> um, I think there's a place for blockchain in the future. So maybe, may, I think blockchain may, may be the kind of the, 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 
you know, phrase resurrected in 2020. I, I wonder when we will do an episode on blockchain and then, okay. Let's do it. One day, one day. We'll I, say, can't believe the, I can't believe we haven't yet. We're a lot. Yeah, I know. Well, we All right. Well, let's go. T, Tim, take us away with your takeaways. All right. Malcolm, you said MDM is not dead. But it's the idea true. of a single source of truth may be dead, right? When you Sing, force single the single source, source is alive, single version, source ah, and version, single version of the yeah. truth. But the idea of a single version of the truth may be dead. Yeah. And yeah. when you're forcing this single version of the truth, it forces some unnatural things. Um, and really, MDM is people, process, and technology to maximize the value of shared data assets. Yep. And I thought that was a really great summarization there. Um, is MDM fancy data integration? Yeah, you can't just relegate it to the plumbing <laughs> aspects. It's really got to be broader. You know, it's the consistent rules of the road at multiple levels. Context matters. Um, you know, it, there's a truth that is contextual for that given context. Um, and when you move from the single version of the truth to context centricity, you have multiple sets of rules. Companies consistently have a lack of sufficient focus on governance. And that's that's a big aspect here. You uh, went through the history of MDM and really gave us a nice foundation on kind of thinking about why we got here, why we kind of have this obsession with getting to that that single customer table, that single product table. Um, but really, the the reality is more complicated than that. Um, and when you're really approaching decentralization, you know, don't become too obsessed with boiling the ocean because that 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 historical obsession can lead you to, hey, I gotta boil the ocean take as much of an MVP approach as possible. So I thought that was really great advice. Juan, what about you? What were your big takeaways? Yeah, so a couple here is, uh, I love the whole, like we got to stop the flow of garbage in, right? MDM is everywhere. So even, even if you're going to add a new record, like you, systems today, they're already checking into some MDM system, right? To make sure does this, is it, do we need to have a new record? Is this already there, right? And the whole, we, we cannot expect the magic wand, just dump this into a snowflake. It's just going to go work out. We're just repeating ourselves, like dump it into Hadoop and whatever. Uh, if you think, uh, I, you also said you have to earn the right to ask fields to be required. Earn the right to go ask the business to change the ways of doing. Be humble about this. Don't just barge into the office and tell them to change their things, especially when, they, when they've been doing things already great. They've been hitting all their numbers. That's a really, really important observation there. And then on the data, ops, uh, data ownership, we're talking about it's a collaborative exercise you maybe you said something another uh, very valuable thing here is well, the moment you create a join you are in a way creating a rule saying i'm going to combine these two different uh, tables and these two different tables can come from different places or may have different uh, more context around that stuff so by joining that you are already enforcing some set of rules what are those rules right who, who are the, who are these people who are behind all that stuff and it's convenient to have an owner but if data crosses so many boundaries, you can't be accountable for things that you don't control. So this is why ownership is really a collaborative process. And you want to have the process experts, the domain experts, the data experts. And yeah, let's not, we don't like the word committee, but let's be honest. You want to have some sort of a committee, a meetings or whatever, where, where they're all happy to collaborate. And, and IT is there for the representation because it's very cross-functional. All right. How did we do? Anything we missed? That was awesome. All right. You see, we, we this is this was you. We we're just paying attention to. <laughs> that, that that was awesome. Nailed it. All right. So to wrap up, back to you for three questions. One, what's your advice? Two, who should we invite next? And three, what resources do you follow? People, blogs, 
conferences. Yeah. Yep. Well, um, what the what the one nugget of advice? Do, do, don't boil the ocean. Take an MVP slash agile outcome driven approach to anything you want to do. That includes implementing a data catalog, implementing a data governance tool, implementing and even an integration tool, just be, just be outcome driven, outcome driven, outcome driven. And if you cannot explain why you're doing what, what you're doing in business terms, meaning increased revenue, decreased cost or mitigated risk, you need to step back. You need to step back and be able to answer that question in a way that the business cares about. So, so that's, that's number one. Um, who to invite next? I I'm struggling with this one. Have you, have you had, have you had Zamak on? Yep. Okay, because I, 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 I'm sure you've had like everybody on. What about a blockchain expert? I, I will I will keep it I will keep it generic there. I, I think you should have somebody who is a blockchain expert to speak about the advances that that are happening in blockchain and how blockchain could be used to solve for data management use cases. Okay, that's I think, a, that's a nice. I one. think there's something there. I think there's something there. Um, resources, boy, oh boy. Um, there's, there's no, there's no shortage of online resources, right? There's great podcasts like yours. There's, there's, there's so many data management podcasts. I, I live and breathe on LinkedIn and honestly, it's, it's, it's great. And, and it's very much a community, right? It, it's very much, you get what you put, what you put in, you get out, right? And if you're not contributing and if you're not active in community and you're not providing feedback and insights, then you're not going to get that much out of it. But if you're actively participating, LinkedIn is, is fantastic. Um, I am prone to be reading about things at, at higher levels. So I, I love books about macroeconomics. Um, two that really kind of stick out to me is uh, one is called the, the, the End of the World. Uh, it, it is, is the End of the World as, as we know it. And it's not so bad. Anyway, the guy's name is Peter Zahan. He, he's a demographer. He speaks about the, cha the ending of globalization. Um, reading a book right now um, uh, from Ray Dalio on on kind of global currencies and, and and the rise and fall of empires related to kind of you know currency management and currency manipulation. I love to kind of up level it when I'm not talking about data and governance and catalogs and quality. I love to up, up level it to higher level things. So uh, Peter Zahan's book is it's, it's I can't believe I'm forgetting the name, but it's it's fantastic. Um, it's it's a it's about the demise of globalization and the impacts that will have on your business, and things like reshoring and bringing you know production capabilities back. I, I would definitely absolutely recommend Peter Zahan's book. These are phenomenal recommendations. Thank you so much. All right, before we say goodbye, just quick reminder: next week we have Jeff Jonas, who actually uh, we were talking about him already. He's a former IBM fellow. He's a CEO of Sensing and just one of the world's experts on entity resolution. So we're gonna have a phenomenal conversation next week. And with that, Malcolm, thank you so much. And as always, thanks to Data Art World, who lets us do this every Wednesday, have some drinks, and go chat about data. Malcolm, cheers, and see you soon. I'm cheers. Sure Thanks, guys. Appreciate this it. This is Catalog and Cocktails. A special thanks to Data.World for supporting the show, Carly Berghoff for producing, John Loyans and Brian Jacob for the show music, and thank you to the entire Catalog and Cocktails fan base.